0: And now, coming to you live from the Gershwin Room, high above the Coot Street Motel 6, it's Jonathan Strahan and Gary K. Wolf with very special guests, Hugo and Nebula award-winning author Robert J. Sawyer, and long-standing advocate of Canadian science fiction Peter Hallatz on the Coot Street Podcast!
1: I always have to wait until you finish that last syllable, but thank you both, Rob and Peter, for agreeing to be on what has become a series of investigations of national science fiction traditions. We've talked about the UK, we've talked about Australia, we've talked about China, and how could we possibly overlook Canada, because it's really close to where I'm sitting right now, for one thing. Yeah,
0: I for one don't know why you didn't start with us. <laughs> well, we didn't intend to do it. But, but quite seriously, <laughs> first of all, welcome, Peter. It's wonderful to have you with us. It's
2: wonderful to be here.
0: And Rob, welcome to you as well. It's a very great pleasure to have you on the, po- on the podcast at last. And congratulations, thank you, Jonathan and
2: Gary. It's it's delightful, and uh, I'm not at home in Toronto where I usually am. I'm in Winnipeg right now, so we're getting a little more Canadian diversity here as well, <laughs> uh, by virtue of me being displaced geographically today. But I'm delighted to be on board.
1: And congratulations on being a member of the Canadian Science Fiction Hall of Fame, which I can science fiction it... and
2: fantasy Hall of Fame. But yes, thank you. They just That'd... had the initial. The inaugural inductees to that, and uh, it was a great honor to be included. The ceremony was in uh, Vancouver, which is uh, farther afield even than uh, uh, Winnipeg is from Toronto. Uh, and uh, amongst the the living authors who were inducted, uh, myself, Spider, and Robinson, and uh, William Gibson. Uh, of course, some of the greats have passed. Phyllis scott has passed. Judith Merrill has passed. Gene wow. Robinson has passed. Uh, and there were some significant Canadian fans, Dennis Mullen and uh, Susan Wood, who were also inducted. Uh, a great, great honor to be part of that group and uh, just a just thrill of my lifetime to be included.
1: And there'll be more inductees every year from now on?
2: There will be two inductees, assuming the jury each year finds two names that, A, they can agree upon, Canadian politics being no less fractious than those anywhere else in the world, and, D, that they deem worthy. Yes.
1: Well, that raises exactly the question that I think we need to be talking about on this podcast, because if you're deciding who belongs in the Canadian Science Fiction and Fantasy Hall of Fame, then part of that is deciding who's Canadian, Um, and Peter, you and I have talked about this and you have a working definition of, Well, give us your definition of who counts as a Canadian family.
3: Gary, I have a a, a very Canadian definition actually of of what it is to be Canadian. Canadians are probably and the government is probably the most inclusive of any government in the world and Canadians are probably the most accepting of others uh, than any other place in the world. So as far as I'm concerned uh, a Canadian is anybody that Canada recognizes, that the government recognizes as Canadian we accept multiple, not just dual, but multiple citizenships here uh, anybody who is a landed immigrant is uh, gets full social benefits if you are born here and live somewhere else, well obviously you're born in Canada, you are Canadian or if you're an immigrant um, so half the world is Canadian. Not quite, but <laughs> okay. there are okay. a lot
2: of Canadians. But the, Peter you know, has a more inclusive view for the sake of this argument. Of course, no one can dispute the governmental rules. And, of course, the governmental rules are, are not unlike the American governmental rules in the sense that our national... Uh, tax authority wants to identify as many people as possible throughout the globe who might actually owe money to Ottawa. Uh But in terms of defining Canadians, Peter and I are great friends, have been for decades, and we do butt heads a little bit about uh, this, which may be why neither of us has any hair left on the tops of our heads. (laughs) Um, From my point of view. From my point of view, I I put together an anthology, actually. The last World World Science Fiction Convention in Canada was in 2009 in Montreal, part of French Canada. I put together an anthology called Distant Early Warnings, Canada's Best Science Fiction. And I had to come up with a filter for who would be in the book. And although we have a tendency in Canadian pop culture to say with great pride, point to people who have left the country and say, Shania Twain. Did you know she's Canadian? Bill Shatner, uh, you know, great Mm. Canadian actor, William Shatner, Jim Carrey, one of our leading Canadian comics, and so on and so forth, to the point of it almost seems an overcompensation, as if there's nobody you can point to within the borders of Canada uh, who's of comparable stature. And in each of those fields, uh, there's a reason why writers, why those practitioners would choose to leave the country. Uh, you can't be a country music superstar anywhere, you know, except nationally. You've got to go there if you're going to do that, Schneider Twain. You've got to go to mm-hmm. Los Angeles if you're going to be a breakout film or TV star. Bill Shatner, I understand this. You can write anywhere in the world. My hero, Arthur C. Clarke, proved that by writing, you know, even pre-internet days in uh, Colombo, Sri Lanka. So I'm very particular when I'm looking to enumerate the Canadians of significance to identifying a national literature, I look for anybody who has chosen voluntarily, Robert Charles Wilson, William Gibson, Spider Robinson, mm-hmm. to be counted among our number by immigrating
1: We're about to Canada who born.
2: And, and all born. of those who have stayed in the country.
0: So you exclude well, I, then by definition the Jeff Rymans and John Klutz who have left the country?
2: I exclude as, I, I, you know, it's a level of tears. Obviously, John and Jeff are friends, and they are, they're proudly Canadian, and yet there's something to be said about, can you reflect the current reality of what went down this week as we record this in Ottawa, uh, where we had a, uh, at our National War Memorial a soldier gunned down by uh, mm. what may or may not have been part yes. of a larger terrorist movement. Yes. If, can you, can you uh, reflect that experience when it's decades in your past that you've walked those streets? I'm not sure well, that you actually can.
3: Well, you know, uh, when you're writing science fiction, you don't have to look across the street. You you can write anywhere you like, and they both self-identify as Canadian. I think that's tremendously important. Uh, well, that's a different definition a, than
2: you gave earlier, Peter. You well, said no, the no, government no. identifies the Canadians.
3: Uh, no, I said <laughs> it's a <laughs> tremendous... <laughs>
1: I want to give a test case here because there there are a couple. See if I'm right about this. Um, This is an area where I believe Rob, you, and Peter would probably disagree. And I'm going to mention the name of Gordon R. Dixon. Now, born in, I don't know, Edmonton, maybe. He's born in Canada, but he left when he was born. Born in, I
2: believe, Winnipeg, Manitoba, actually. I think that's where Dixon from. Uh,
1: But he left before he wrote a word of science fiction. So according to your definition, Rob, he's not a Canadian writer since he wrote the United States. But according to your definition, Peter, he is simply... Uh, You
2: picked the most problematic of examples because he renounced his Canadian citizenship. Yeah. Not only Uh, did he he leave, but he ceased to be a Canadian citizen. At the time he did that, the United States was not friendly to the notion of dual citizenship. Dixon gave up his citizenship in Canada to become an American.
3: Well, uh, that's true. Uh, when you renounce your citizenship uh, formally, like Gordon did, uh, it's really difficult to count him as a Canadian, uh, especially since he didn't write here. Now, let's say, let's, let's, let's turn it around. Uh, Philip K. Dick lived for a time in Vancouver. Um, we don't count him uh, as, as Canadian because he didn't live here long enough. He didn't take advantage of any of the social benefits. Uh, and so there's no reason to count him as Canadian. Okay, if you are being as inclusive as you mm-hmm. could possibly be, you make a note that Gordon R. Dixon was born in Canada and had this body of work. Uh, I will leave it up to others. To decide uh, where they want to place him, but to all intents and purposes, I don't, I actually don't think uh, he would be counted as Canadian.
2: On the other the hand, example, the example you on want, the yeah. other hand, yeah,
3: on the other hand, uh, A. Van Vogt, that's the one who uh. most people uh, uh, don't know was Canadian, born here, started writing here, and then moved to the States. Uh, and, and and became more successful in the states. Without a doubt, he's Canadian.
1: He had published uh, science fiction stories while living in Canada.
3: Correct. Yeah. Uh, so you, the, you know,
1: the,
3: the,
1: sorry. I, I, I like to think of problematical examples because they're fun. Um, Sean Stewart, a writer who's not writing much anymore because he's doing successfully in the gaming industry, I gather. Uh, if I understand this correctly, born in the United States, lived in Canada, wrote some of his best novels in Canada, even though the novels were about his native Texas, and then moved away from Canada. Here's an American... Actually, right his country.
3: last one, it, Gary, his last one was about Galveston. I don't think the others were about Texas.
1: Um, uh, perfect, I don't know when he wrote A Perfect Circle, but that was certainly about small... Oh, town. sorry.
3: You're right. That's after Galveston. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, It's a case of dual citizenship. He came up here when he was very young mm-hmm. uh, and was schooled here and did most of his writing here uh, as a Canadian citizen. Um, obviously, he's Canadian. There, there is no question about
2: that.
1: Rob, you have dual citizenship, don't you?
2: Yes, I do. I'm also an American. And if somebody in New York City were to call me up say the New York Times and said, Rob, we want your perspective on American science fiction. I would be the first person to say, here's a list of writers who live in the United States who are every bit as much, by Peter's definition, Americans as I am, but would be more appropriate to comment on this. I don't think when The Guardian calls up John Clute for a perspective on British science fiction, the first words out of his mouth are a disclaimer about his qualifications to comment on British SF. So I guess what we're asking here is the Canadian zeitgeist you double dip wherever you go. I'm Canadian <laughs> when it's convenient to get my health care. I'm American when it's convenient when the media wants me to be. And that's a perfectly valid survival strategy in a very tricky game. It's one I myself Rob. choose not to play. But I think Rob. we could spend the whole hour arguing about who is yeah, to I I Canadian. No, I know. That's I, I, not I really the germane am- issue. The germane issue is what defines the work, not whose work papers or who the tax dollars go to. That's what I wanted to well, get to. That's you. even more fractious. <laughs> uh, <laughs>
3: that's quite a bit more fractious. Uh, we have a, a Canadian canlit community who doesn't recognize uh, science fiction as or fantasy as being worthwhile, who define the canon as to have something uniquely Canadian about it. Well, most of the science fiction uh, Produced in this, written in this country, most of the fantasy does does have has nothing on the surface uniquely Canadian. There are hints, glimpses, uh, modes that can be teased out, but there's nothing there's nothing that screams uh, maple syrup in those uh, in in those works. Um,
1: I was thinking about that earlier, and um, that's that's the point you're making now, Peter. Is exactly. One of the points made by the author of one of two books that I know of that are books about Canadian science fiction. They're both about 20 years old. One was by a professor at Concordia University, David Ketterer. Ketterer. Which is called Canadian Science Fiction and Fantasy. Uh, the from other one, Indiana
2: University Press, I'll add. From Indiana Press, University
1: yes. Press, okay. I'm <laughs> impressed, absolutely. And the other Except one was. He did his work a, in Montreal, was, yes. And the other one was a collection of essays. Uh, was by the National Library of Canada and edited by Andrea Parad- Paradis.
2: Paradis. is how you say that. Okay, Paradis. Um, it was French. And, it
1: looks like paradise okay. without the s, without the e on well, the but, end. Yeah. Which raises the whole separate issue of French Canadian science fiction. But the point that one of the points that Ketterer made is that the best Canadian science fiction has nothing in particular to do with Canada. Is that true?
2: When Ketterer wrote that, that might conceivably have been a defensible position. William Gibson has written a lot that is set in Canada, demonstrably so. I certainly have. Um, Terence M. Green certainly has. Spider Robinson certainly has. Uh, You know, the thing is, the reason we're talking about, and you came lately to your discussion of various national science fiction literatures, is we came lately to having a national <laughs> science fiction literature that's distinct in its character from the, the literatures of other countries. And uh, yes, if you look at 20-year-old or older references, uh, those sorts of statements might have, forgive me, some currency. But contemporaneous uh, accounts of Canadian science fiction freely acknowledge, and fantasy, you've got to look at the works of Guy Gabriel Kaye, Charles Gallant, Absolutely. Tanya Huff, widely set in Canadian settings. Mm-hmm. That we have embraced uh, the setting, and although we may not be redolent of maple syrup, to use Peter's metaphor, we certainly have a milieu that is a, that we're evocative of that is demonstrably different from that south of the border, the one of our American cousins.
1: I would tend to agree with that because the Charles Dillon, and we should mention um, him partly because one of the things that I do every year is to. Administer the Crawford Award at ICFA, and and the the Lintz one. What was was, was I, it's not the very first winner, one of the very early winners of the Crawford Award. And his city of, is it Newford? Newford? Is that yeah, his Newford. version of um, kind struck me as being something that was. It didn't seem like an American city. It struck me as being. Um, I don't know. Maybe Canadian was the word for it. There was a lot of discussion among supernatural fiction writers about stories like Algernon Blackwood's *The Windigo*, which seemed to be uniquely Canadian in there, even though he wasn't a Canadian writer. So there is a kind of Canadian fantasy tradition there. Uh, I guess the question is, is that also true of a science fiction tradition? And you're right, Rob, you've, you've certainly set works in Canada.
2: I have, and I'm very proud of it, but I, I mention again those names. William Gibson, there's a lot of Canadian content. True. Spider Robinson, a lot of Canadian content. Uh, um, Julie Trinada has done it of late. Uh, so we weird ag- and I'll tell you there's a little if I if I can just take it back a bit to the, those 20 years ago when Ketterer was writing that stuff and 30 yeah. years ago and I was starting out and the, many of the names I've mentioned were starting out we were all told by our colleagues in Canada everybody said do not set your work in Canada. You will never sell it oh, to an American um. editor. And of course, there were no Canadian options at the time. If we wanted to get you know, a, a real advance and be published in hardcover and be in real bookstores, the only option was going to New York. And the received wisdom was that all of those editors in New York City would reject out of hand the first time they encountered a reference to Toronto or somebody who accidentally forgot to take the U out of the word color, that that would be the death knell of your book. And in fact, now my first novel came out 24 years ago and was blatant in all of its on earth settings being in Canada. Never Mm -hmm. once in almost a quarter of a century has any American editor, agent, publisher, reviewer, bookseller, critic, or reader remarked negatively on the Canadian content in my work. And I've canvassing the others who frequently use Canadian settings, Robert Charles Wilson being another example who's known for having Canadian settings from time to time in his work. None of us have had any pushback whatsoever, but the Keterers and this is Peter alluded to the academy
0: Can I just say uh, Peter dropped on, out of the call? The of
2: the world wanted us to perceive barriers that were entirely illusory.
0: Yeah. I'm just going to say for what? a second,
1: Peter's just dropped out of the call. I'm just trying to get him back in.
2: Well, in,
1: in, in defense of Ketter, to some extent, what he was what his remit was, was trying to find some definition of, um, of Canadian science fiction. So in order to make the book a viable book... Oh, Gary, you just, want to,
0: just oh. hold a second. Thanks, Peter. Sorry, my apologies for that, that break. I'll cut that in in, in a moment, but... We've just been talking about no, that,
2: and, and why he was while Peter was gone we explained it in a nutshell yeah. why he was wrong and everything. It's so funny.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's not fair. So funny. Just kidding, So you've Peter.
2: decided everything. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Welcome
0: okay.
1: We, back, we, we, my friend. We spent a lot of time talking about about um, Canadian the Canadianness of writers. We could talk a little bit about the science fictionness of Canadian writers. Now, arguably, the most high-profile Canadian science fiction writer. Of the last 50 years, sorry, Rob, it's probably Margaret Atwood.
2: Yes. Peter, though, raised the big question of self-identification early wow, on. True. And Margaret does not self-identify as a science fiction writer. So we have this ironic double standard of saying, well, she self-identifies as Canadian, but not as science fiction. It's um, a defining characteristic in column A, I, I like but doesn't matter that. at all in column B. That said, <laughs> yes. yes, there's no question that Margaret outsells me and Bill Gibson and everybody else. What was mm-hmm. that was in this country? And, well, and, you know, delightfully so. I mean, uh, she's yeah. a fantastic writer. She is. Uh, yes. Hang yes. Second, what was I going to say, Peter? Peter? Well, what, what I, mean? I
3: would like to add is, is self-identification as to nationality is quite different from self-identification as to type of writer one is. I mean, science fiction, One serves
2: your and one doesn't. <laughs> hang on.
3: Please, please let me finish, Rob. Yes.
2: Uh
3: science fiction is science fiction is speculative fiction is science fiction a rose by ed- any other name is still science fiction um, she's very comfortable with the genre i think i don't know if you know but uh, this year uh, this month in the wall street journal uh, book club she is hosting a discussion on what she calls the wellspring of fantasy and that's something by uh, Ursula K. Le Guin. Uh, was what, the title? A Wizard uh, of Earthsea, I
1: think. The Earthsea, that's yeah. right. She, she so, Ursula she's Le Guin very, friends.
3: She, she's very comfortable with the genre. She's been a guest at science fiction academic uh, conferences. Uh, the fact what her publishers want to do and what her publicists want to do and uh, maybe another thing, silly comments like science fiction, oh, that's just octopi in space, or squids in space.
0: Squids, Squid. squids
3: silly comment. Squids, yes. Uh, but it's still science fiction. I mean, speculative fiction and science fiction are interchangeable.
1: Well, we had, um, we had a discussion on this podcast about Margaret Atwood's book called In Other Worlds, uh, which was a <laughs> somewhat ill-informed book about science fiction, which I think she now recognizes. And I guess for that podcast was in fact Ursula Le Guin uh, mm-hmm. who is who, and she and Margaret Atwood apparently have been friends for years, they've been on panel discussions together and so forth and so on um, and the the issue was separating Margaret Atwood's public assumptions about science fiction which she really basically stopped reading in the early 1950s until she rediscovered Ursula Le Guin several years ago, uh, yes. separating that from her Actual fiction, which by all of our definitions, is pretty clearly science fiction, uh, so yep. to some extent uh, the self identification issue ought not to be a, an issue we, we have no idea if let's say Olaf Stapleton were alive today, would he identify as a science fiction writer? we don't really care, do we
3: <laughs> exactly it's the, it's the work that's important at that point not not the author's self identification there you know by the, uh, if, if one brings up self-identification in this context we would not be thinking of uh, orwell's 1984 as uh, science fiction or uh oh. um, or, or well, any of uh, sorry any of wells's work all of his science well that fiction yeah the
2: term didn't because... actually exist when wells exactly. did his work
3: so how could it possibly oh, yeah. be science fiction right you can all right, you yes. can take these you can take these things to an illogical extreme uh but if it if it well, I agree like with science, you. I was can... asked by the yes. Ottawa
2: Citizen some years ago to review Oryx and Crake, whatever year that came out. Was it 2003, mm-hmm. perhaps? Mm. Um, yeah. And I said to the Citizen, again, my, my number one job, believe me, is turning down things. I said to the mm-hmm. Citizen, oh, come on, are there are any number." of Margaret Atwood scholars in this country were way more familiar uh, with their oeuvre and way better positioned to comment on Oryx and Crake as a Margaret Atwood novel. And they said, yes, that's true, and there'll be 75 reviews of that book on that basis in this country. But we can say, we can see, excuse me, even if uh, McCollum and Stewart is not positioning it, as such, that it's science fiction, and we feel that there should be at least one review in this country that assesses it on the merits of the genre that it clearly is part of. All disclaimers to the contrary, and of course, I reviewed good it good on the for them. I'm surprised. Good for them. Yeah, yeah. I, I've got a question. Uh, that's sorry. McConnell. I was just going to comment. That's okay, very yeah. rare
3: in this country uh, to be that inclusive yeah. for genre fiction.
1: We should, but but to some extent, just as a parenthesis to that, uh, in addition to Rob's recent honor, we should mention Guy Gavriel K's Order of Canada, which is a that's, that's a major literary achievement for anybody in any country, and he's yeah, actually, unabashedly a fantasy writer. Yeah,
2: it, it's essentially I, I, the Canadian equivalent of a knighthood. Yes, he's yeah. the top exactly. top uh, civilian honor in this country.
0: I guess what I wanted to ask was, when I look down a simple roster of Canadian science fiction writers, I see some of the most famous and well-known epic fantasists of our day, whether they be a Steve Erickson or a Guy K. I see some of the most cutting-edge hard science fiction writers of the moment, whether they be, they be Peter Watts or Carl Schrader, uh, I see you know, people at the forefront of our genre, yourself, Rob, Bill Gibson, Margaret Atwood in her own way, uh, Nayla Hopkins who crosses over. What I'm curious about, and maybe one of you, Peter, maybe answer first, then, then Rob. What I'm curious about is, does this add up to an awareness in Canada of your own fantastic literature, or do these people tend to blend into uh, the overall output of North American science fiction? You know, Is there a sense in Canada of there being a great Canadian speculative literature?
3: Well, that's... Uh... Uh, That's a a very good question and and a very big one. Uh, Canada is not unique in uh, having difficulty in in mainstream, uh, having difficulties in accepting and uh, uh, honoring genre writers. Um, Slowly that is changing. Uh, In the same way, genre readers have a great deal of difficulty reading and accepting genre fiction, Written by mainstream writers, that too is changing, and I think it's changing not just in Canada. Uh, is there an overall sense of meld? Uh, yeah, I'd have to say so. Nalo uh, N- Nalo is read uh, by mainstream fantasy, science fiction, and magic realist readers. Uh, and host Atwood host is host read
1: host by part of me. And post-colonialist. And, and, well,
3: post and people of color. Yeah, she, she she, touches a lot of bases. Atwood touches a lot of bases. The fact that Guy Kay, uh, the premier fantasist in, in, in Canada and one of the premier fantasists in the world, uh, is given an Order of Canada uh, or named as a member of the Order of Canada it just attests to the slow transition that we're that that these two i'm sorry i'm terribly sorry that these two solitudes are beginning to be uh, less soul
0: um
2: <laughs> was that a chuckle no 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 i you know my experience as a writer is a bit different than than, than peter's as a um uh, independent scholar um I have found that I've been wonderfully and warmly embraced by the Academy in Canada. I'm taught at every university in Canada, literally at every university in Canada. Uh, McMaster University held a three-day conference uh, last year, mostly devoted to academic papers about my works. My uh, archival holdings, which are substantial, are in McMaster's Canadian literature archives. Uh, And I've read at just about every major literary festival uh, coast to coast in this country multiple times. The reason, and some of my colleagues have not benefited to that degree, some of my Canadian colleagues, the two distinctive things are this. Number one is there has to be a perception that the work is Canadian in content. And those writers, great writers, Carl Schrader and, uh, and Peter Watts as examples who have largely eschewed any identification within the work itself as being Canadian has Mm. been excluded by and large. Bob Wilson is not excluded. Robert Charles Wilson is not excluded in the way that Carl uh, or Peter are. And yet you look at they're all published by Tor in the States and so on and so Mm. forth. And that's the second thing. The number two thing is you have to do some publishing in this country. Peter did do a short story collection With Tesseract Books some years ago, when I was editing for a mid-sized Canadian publisher, one of the books I acquired, and I will say to the chagrin of David Hartwell at TOR, Mm. because he wanted it, uh, was Carl Schrader's uh, first, and I believe only to date, short story collection. Uh, And I said to Carl, one of the selling points is, Carl, you need this. You need this on your literary resume in Canada that you've been published in Canada. You need a little bit of it. It doesn't have to be your whole list. But you need to have some publishing credentials here. And my friend, set a few works in Canada, and you will see that it's a way more welcoming environment than you might otherwise have thought. And I just want to add one name that hasn't been mentioned here, Madeline Ashby. When you talk about cutting edge, and you mentioned Peter Watts, and you mentioned Carl Schrader, absolutely, absolutely. But you got to mention Madeline Ashby, too, who's right there on the forefront of doing really good cutting edge, uh, avant-garde Uh, science fiction. fiction. And in this general climate right now of of tending to forget uh, uh, how important the contributions of women are to our genre. I want to make sure that name echoes loudly in this podcast.
1: Well, one of the other names I wanted to mention since you brought that up, even though she took some time off from writing for a short-lived political career is Candace Jane Dorsey who clearly identified very clearly as a a Canadian writer and, and used Canadian settings in her work as well.
3: And, Candace is uh, wonderful. Was, and was yep. published in Canada and was a Canadian publisher. Um, and yet, uh, unfortunately, she does not get the warm reception um, in the academy that Rob does, um, which is really a damn shame. She's a fine, fine writer.
2: She's um, a fine writer. She's your predecessor's president of SF Canada. And uh-huh. she's done so much to nurture other writers in this country. She really has done um, that, yeah. But, it, but is she terrific. currently Candace writing at all? Dorsey? I th- I'm sorry, I missed that.
0: But is she currently writing at all?
3: I think she's back writing. I think okay. she's uh, in the middle of or, or finishing a
2: novel. Okay. Uh, yes, I haven't she seen, seen a recent sometimes. publication. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, actually, Rob, no. you've,
0: you've touched on can- publication a few times, and yeah. I'm curious from both of your perspectives: Is it possible for a Canadian, well, for a writer in Canada, irrespective of their nationality? to be published in their own country and to be successful on that basis. I mean, I know that uh, very prominent writers are quite often, well, are occasionally, I guess, published in Canada and in the
2: United States and elsewhere. Yes. Is this a possible thing? Canadian fantasy writers were in the vanguard of that. Guy Gabriel Kaye was one of the first guys to come along and split his English language rights essentially three ways, Canada. With one publisher, the United States with another, Great Britain with a third, and the rest of the English language uh, rights scattered amongst those three major publishers.
1: The mm-hmm. fantasy
2: publisher writers had some luck doing that. Uh, some years ago, um, I was very flattered when Quill Inquiry, the Canadian publishing trade journal, uh, named me one of the 30 most influential, innovative, and just plain powerful people in Canadian ah. publishing. And they only put three <laughs> authors on that list. The other 27 were publishing executives and so forth, or booksellers of of considerable stature. The three authors were me, Douglas Copeland, and Margaret Atwood. And of the list of achievements, the number one achievement uh, in my assessment of their list was that Penguin Canada decided to become a publisher of science fiction, of works that couldn't be identified as anything but science fiction because of my long history at that point as a science fiction author as part Mm -hmm. of their mainstream list and so i split canadian rights and had a major as opposed to a small press canadian publisher doing wake watch and wonder and subsequently triggers and red planet blues and my forthcoming work and that was a watershed uh they paid you know significant advances i could make a living just writing for penguin canada Setting aside my British and my American publishers. But it's a new thing. By and large, those who are splitting their rights, and the reason we split our rights, just parenthetically, is so we get a full royalty in each country we sell in. Instead of, you know, if you sell your rights to the United States, Tor, for instance, that publishes Carl and Peter, uh, bizarrely, if I were to buy Peter Watts's new novel, which is just out, in Toronto, Peter gets about 60% of what he would get if I went across the border to Buffalo, New York, and bought it. Yeah. This is why hmm. we want to split the rights. Uh, and um, Penguin Canada has been very interested in getting into what they recognize as an area where Canadians are doing preeminent work worldwide, uh, but are not being published domestically.
1: Yeah.
2: yeah. Um, That's
1: me because well, look, Peter, what were you going to say? No, Jonathan,
2: if you, I understood the question a little bit
3: differently. Um, there are many Canadian SF&F writers who are published only in Canada and are successfully published only in Canada, but really? it's darn difficult to make a living that way. In fact, mm-hmm. it's impossible. Um, the one person who comes closest uh, is a young adult writer by the name of Leslie Livingston, uh, a fine, fine young writer. And she's doing it. I don't think she's widely published. Uh, I think she is distributed in the states, but I don't think
2: well. No, I, I've got to. i I've got to say that's just flat out wrong. She's and, published by Harper Collins and Penguin USA. She has separate American editors, separate American editions. Uh, part of okay. the reason for her success is I, she is a player on the I, na- I stand, international stage. I stand corrected. Um, I stand corrected. But the, without the a famous doubt, example. She the famous example. That you want is Sean Stewart who started out publishing with Beach Home and Tesseracts yeah. and then got yeah. Ace uh, uh, you know a bulldozer of an American publisher I said that with all affection they're my current publisher uh, to pick up the US only rights for the books yeah mm-hmm.
3: yeah, that's about the same way Candace
2: started yeah. um, yes Sean
1: Stewart, yeah. if I recall correctly ended up with Small Beer Press which is a very prestigious small press but it is a small press
2: did you say flute? No, no,
1: no. He's saying Sean Stewart ended up John, with, with, John, um, John Stewart. with small Stewart. Yeah, yeah,
2: exactly, exactly, with small beard, Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: But, I, yeah. but I think that was an evolutionary thing. I'm curious as well, do you, do you both think, I mean, I noticed recently that there was the announcement that funding had become unavailable to support on spec in, in yes. you know, And I wonder if that was that's a significant true. change in, in Canada you know, in your assessments. Peter? Rob, okay. Oh, just, just, to just, throw a, oh, well, just to that's throw it between, between you, I'm just curious, that's all.
3: Yeah, you know, um, art funding in general is is, un, is being squeezed radically here, uh, and literary arts funding is being squeezed radically uh, or dramatically. Uh, the fact that On Spec, on top of that, is a genre magazine, uh, makes it really tough for them. Now, um, On Spec has traditionally nurtured a lot of the new talent uh, that w- has emerged over the past years and is emerging and will iner- emerge if they continue. Um, they are not a mature magazine in the, in the sense of FNSF or uh, Asimov's or Analog, but they're vital in the English language at any rate um, on the scene in Canada. What I don't think it's unusual. I think it's very sad what's happened. And one hopes, and there is a bit of a campaign, to get their funding
1: restored. Yeah. Well, this is one of the things that makes me as an American less than less sympathetic than I might be. You're talking about a reduction in funding for literary journals in Canada. I mean, the last time those of us in the United States can remember that kind of funding just because you live in thing. a
0: savage wasteland gary
2: doesn 't really mo <laughs> <laughs>
0: What are your thoughts on this rob i 'm curious
2: well, you know here 's Peter mentioned early on uh, and and we didn 't pick up on it uh, people who have been a product of the social systems in Canada or taken advantage of the social systems in Canada, the number one thing that has made it possible for the last decade and a half for Canadians to be disproportionately represented on international award ballots, Hugo ballots, Nebula ballots, and so forth, mm-hmm. for names like my own and Peter Watts and Robert Charles Wilson and so forth to show up over and over again, I would say is national health care, socialized medicine in this country. I celebrated yeah, I a couple of years ago my 30th anniversary of being a full-time professional writer. I'm 54 years old and I've been a full-time one now for 32 years, because I always was able to say to my wife early on, you know, we might not eat well this month, but no, you know, no matter what befalls us in terms of health or injury, we've got nothing to worry about. And she would say, that's fine, you know, go try and write your books. And there's no question, you know, speaking of Canadians who aren't often acknowledged as such, Malcolm Gladwell, the great uh, Canadian writer of books such as outliers, in Mm. which he makes the case that you have to put in a minimum number of hours um, I think it's 100,000 to become a Excuse me, 10,000. That's the exchange rate, Canadian-American hours. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) 10,000 hours to become a bona fide expert. It is so much easier to put in your 10,000 hours or to reach the Bester limit, which, as Alfred Bester says, to get that million words of crap out of your system Mm. before you write your first good word when you're doing it full-time. And you look at people in their 20s, 30s, 40s, and as I am in their 50s in Canada, disproportionate number of full-time writers which means we're producing a larger quantity of material and practice makes perfect you get better the more you get to do this so set aside the canada council for the arts or the ontario arts council or any other ones. if they all disappear as long as we have our socialized health care we will still have a vigorous arts class in this country
1: okay well yeah. the, the young Canadian, the younger canadian canada. writers identify themselves as Canadian writers or do they feel the same, do they think the same way that, the same advice that you got when you were younger, Rob, which is you have to make it in the States or the UK or you can't make it, or are they satisfied being Canadian writers?
2: There is a lovely life to being a Canadian writer, a life of uh, the Canada Council disburses hundreds of dollars for public readings. and There's a uh, great suite of literary festivals that are reasonably open to writers of genre if you're published domestically in Canada. Uh, you can have a very nice life as a Canadian writer in all ways except financial. Uh, uh-huh. And there are a lot of writers who are quite, quite content with that. You know, they have their day job, whatever it might be, and they enjoy uh, being wined and dined and celebrated big fish in small ponds. And there's a lot of appeal to that particular, uh, ecological niche, as we would say in Canada or niche, as you might say in the United States. Ah. yeah. What's uh,
0: your assessment? Peter?
2: I think there's a lot of truth to that. I think more
3: it's ambition. It's one one, one of a writing career and one, what one's particular take on, um, how you want to fit into the social strata, uh, nationally or internationally? There are there are writers who are firmly fixed on uh, being known and being known internationally and making a living as a writer, making li- a living as a writer. And I think that's just more and more difficult. It doesn't matter where you live; it's not going to get easier. Oh, yeah. It's going to get more difficult. There are uh, at least as many others who say, "Look, I enjoy doing this." i have fun doing this um, i'm going to do this but I, i'm never going to make a living at it so uh, i'm okay with that uh... so it's it's your here i think it's as much a point of view as of anything else
1: i think from, from an american point of view speaking oh about a hundred and twenty miles south of your border uh... there are some writers that are clearly perceived as canadian by american readers And that's a plus. That's something we want to... Margaret Atwood is certainly one. Alice Munro is certainly one. Um, Leonard Cohen, who actually wrote an almost fantastic novel or two. Um, But then there are other writers, and Rob, you're among these, uh, who we don't think of as being Canadian or American or anything else. I think... um, I'm not sure why that is. William Gibson does not seem to be perceived in the States as particularly a Canadian writer. Right, and Um,
2: part of it is, you know, that we're published by New York publishing houses, and there's a tendency to think that everybody who is published in New York is an American and everybody who's in an American television show is an American. So, you know, despite the fact that half the cast say on flash forward, the ABC adaptation of my novel was British faking American accents. Nonetheless, it was thought that we had an American cast. It goes with where the art is being put out to the public to some considerable Mm -hmm. degree. Um, And yeah, you know, it is a very cool thing to be an Alice Munro or a Margaret Atwood uh, or Margaret Lawrence, one of our great writers who's passed, um, on the literary landscape. Uh, We have um, carved out, uh, as a pacifist Canadian, I never want to say we punch above our weight, but we have carved out a place that a country of 30 million people sparsely deployed across a giant landmass uh, has That that we're identifiable at all in the cacophony of seven billion other voices on this planet is a miraculous thing, and we celebrate it every day and are grateful for it.
3: Mm -hmm. Uh, Yep, I can't, I can't,
1: I can't agree more. No, when I was was young, because I'm I'm trying to think back now, as to who who we thought of as Canadian writers, and in terms of science fiction and fantasy, it was it was really hard to come up with anything, but but sort of the cliche Canadian writer for the American literary community 20 or 30 or 40 years ago was Robertson Davies and probably Farley Mowat.
2: Um, Yeah, Mowat is how you used to say it, Farley Mowat. Mowat. Yeah, exactly, Farley Mowat, who had enormous uh, international stuff. Really good stuff. Uh, Yeah, yeah. And uh, I'll tell you, you know, I'll tell you the truth here, Gary. I was approached by University of California Riverside uh, for my archives. Uh-huh. I was approached by University of South Florida for my archives. And I was approached uh-huh. by McMaster University in Hamilton, Ontario for my archives. And Mac McMaster said, we're going to put you next to Farley Mowat." And, and huh. of course, UC uh, Riverside has a lot of great science fiction writers. The University of South Florida has a lot of great science fiction writers. And when it came time to decide where a 100, 200, 500 years from now, whatever poor thought of a grad student has decided to look into uh, the mad ramblings of this late 20th, early 21st century guy named Sawyer, uh, where did I want him to go to look? I ultimately decided I wanted him to look next to Harley Moat, look in the Canlit Litt archives. Uh, and oh, I, I don't think yeah. that's all that unusual for uh, even though I enjoy all the fruits of being a Canadian, of uh, being an American genre fiction writer, guest of ownership at SF cons and uh, American SF awards, all that kind of stuff. Great fun, but in in the end of it all, there is something ineffably wonderful about being a Canadian writer. And those of us who are that thing don't ever want to, I think, deny that thing. Yeah. So, so
1: Rob, we're painting We're, we're, we're totally painting you into a corner here, Rob. You would. You're telling us you would rather be remembered as a major Canadian writer than as a major science fiction writer?
2: Yes. If I had to make the choice, yes. Ultimately, science fiction uh, is what I do. Canadian is who I am.
3: I think you'll find
2: that a lot of Canadians think the same way. We're
3: quietly very patriotic, uh, but very quietly.
2: We saw this uh, ab- absolutely, and others. Yeah, Peter. But we saw this absolutely. Did it with this past week with the horrible shooting in Ottawa. The, exactly. Th- the exactly. quiet Canadian patriotism. You didn't see yeah. flags go up uh, on every door stop. And I remember being in New York State, which is just south of where I normally live in Toronto. Uh, Post-September 11, 2001, we didn't have that flag waving thing. We don't, we don't do it that way. I like to say Canada, Ottawa, where this horrible shooting happened, we're the only national capital uh, in the world where we make statues of our national heroes that are smaller than life-size.
1: That's the Canadian
2: way. We're very unassuming about it. But there is a patriotism. There is a pride in our multiculturalism. There's a pride in our pacifism. Our role as peacekeepers on the world stage. There's a pride in making just a living in an incredibly harsh climate, environment. You know, Margaret Atwood, uh, we talked a little bit about her work about science fiction. But the one that everybody has to read in English class in Canada, uh, in terms of critical work, is Survival, her 1972 yeah. exploration of the central theme of the Canadian experience, which is if you just stand still, the climate, the environment, this harsh and uncaring land will kill you. You've got to keep moving.
1: Interestingly yeah. enough, actually, of, of her book about science fiction, In you know, Other Worlds, she talks about her childhood discovery of Bradbury and Clark and a handful of other writers in the late 40s. was very much that. It was was very much growing up in the Canadian wilderness with nothing else to do but read and nothing else to motivate you but your own imagination, which was by far the most touching part of that book.
3: Yes, absolutely. Survival is actually uh, as much as anything a study of the Gothic in Canada uh, and Canadian letters Canadian literature is very gothic. It's a northern gothic. Her, her master's degree is in gothic literature, so there's a real um, tie uh, between uh, that book and a lot of what she writes. Actually, not so much the science fiction, but um, mm-hmm. the realist novels and her fantasy.
1: Well, Peter, when you when you organize. The World Fantasy Convention in Toronto just a couple of years ago, you made the theme of it, the Northern Gothic. So what do you mean by that?
3: Uh, the lone well, it's the opposite of Southern Gothic, Terry. <laughs> 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 it's, the, it's
2: It's
1: it's the
3: uh, it's the loneliness of the wilderness. The the endless sky, the brutal cold, um, uh, uh, gothic gothic study as alienation in in a wilderness. Uh, uh, that that's, that's what uh, we meant. Oh, nice um, well, um, and that's actually what that's actually the major theme or the theme that most can-lit writers are writing about. There is now, uh, that's been split, there's now a maritime gothic which comes out of uh, Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, uh, and Newfoundland, and Prince Edward Island. Uh, that's a very unique gothic. Well, there's, there's, a there's a western gothic. Sorry, go ahead.
2: No, I was
1: just going to say, who are the, hmm, we've been talking about time. Well, one science that's been... So. Who are the major the, uh, Canadian horror writers?
2: Ado Van Belcom is the name that I'll put forward right uh, yeah. off the bat there. Of course. Major I'll, horror writer?
1: Oh yeah. No, no. He was never Canadian.
2: And Kelly Armstrong yeah. he wrote a yeah. Kelly Armstrong. Yeah. yeah.
1: Kelly Armstrong is the name I know.
3: There's uh, um, Ke- Kelly is very huge. Uh there's all of the writers associated with uh Press. A uh, Uh, Very young, new, ambitious press. Yeah. Uh, There's Susie Maloney out of Winnipeg, who. Yes.
0: uh,
3: What was her breakout book? Um, Guys, my memory is not what it used to be. Her breakout (laughs) book, optioned for a movie million dollars about a dozen years ago Bastion Falls. Okay. Uh, That was her breakout book.
2: Um, horror...
0: Uh, oh, uh,
3: Charles I mean, DeLint used
2: to write horror under a horror? Name.
0: He wrote a number of horror novels.
2: Samuel K. was Charles DeLint's pen name as a horror writer. Yeah. Tanya Hoff has done some horror. Yeah. Yeah. David Nichols yep. just got a uh, yep. hard review in Publishers Weekly for his latest horror novel. Uh, Canadian yeah. uh, Toronto, Torontonian author David Nickel, um, Michael Rowe, R-O-W-E Absolutely. wonderful Canadian horror novel, and Peter is exactly right, almost all of these authors are identified with a chiascuro press known as uh, uh, cheese scene or chai press yeah. uh, in Toronto, Sandra Astori and Brett Alexander yeah. Savory, the editors uh, uh-huh. there's a very vigorous yeah. Canadian horror scene yeah. Mark I, I Leslie will, LaFave, this, another one Mark Leslie Yep. Yeah. I, I would like to point this this actually leads me to
3: something that uh, I don't know how true it is, but it's been, it's been my thinking for at least a dozen years that Canadian genre writers are more versatile than genre writers from elsewhere. They'll do science fiction, fantasy, and horror, and magic realism, and they'll do it at the drop of a hat. Um, now, I don't want you guys to pile in on me, but that's, that's what I've been noticing. But
2: I'm a you know, I agree all. with you, but you know, Jonathan laughed as if you had said something disparaging about other writers, which you had. What you were no, 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 I no. no, no, we, no, have no. A, what, we have a climate that allows us to move effortlessly. There's one bucket labeled Canadian literature, and everything goes into that bucket. The notion of genres, the notion of subdividing the output because there's so much to deal with is an American one where you have to say, this guy's science fiction. That one's fantasy. That one's horror. That one is thriller. That, we don't have to do that in Canada. Louis Barkley is a great buddy of mine, one of the top-selling thriller uh-huh. writers in the world. Peter Robinson, one of the top-selling uh, mystery writers in the world. And when he and I and the three of us get together, we don't talk about our separate genres. There's way more commonality that draws us together than anything that separates us. And, you know, my first published short story was a fantasy story. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got the the World Fantasy Convention is next week, and they're doing a retrospective anthology in honor of what is it, the 30 years of World Fantasy Conventions. I have a story in there. We do mm-hmm. have this ability to publish uh, without the labels because the labels aren't automatically handed they out don't when you create they a creative work. It doesn't have to be stamped something as soon as it's created.
0: I, I should clarify yeah. that, that my response had more to do with an Australian perspective that appears to be a lot much more in step with the Canadian. you know, That it's less uniquely Canadian, perhaps, than it appears to you in the sense that, I mean, it's coming from a, a fellow Commonwealth country that has a large, harsh yes. climate that is very antagonistic to life uh, and that has a similar uh, arts support network or has had and all these kind of things, there's a much more recognizable relationship between our experience and yours than... The you know,
2: you, I, 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 you're right to a degree, Jonathan, but I'll tell you, my degree is actually in radio and television arts. I'm a trained yep. broadcaster and I do a lot of work in broadcasting field. Um, when the World Con was in Australia in 1999, I was lucky enough to be nominated for the Hugo, so I went. Yep. But I went beforehand to New Zealand. Yep. That's the country that's like Canada. The United States, you guys in Australia, you're the Americans down there. When you go to New Zealand, I went to a broadcasting conference in New Zealand, and except for the Kiwi accents, it was exactly the same thing that said at any Canadian broadcasting conference and also at any Canadian publishing conference. How does our little voice get heard next to this overwhelming neighbor next to us that has way more population produces way more material has way more money how do we keep from being drowned out and uh, uh, we have an enormous affection for the other commonwealth countries of course uh, we're all brothers and sisters of former subjugation (laughs) but uh, it is uh, very clear that you guys are uh, the 800-pound gorilla. Plus, <laughs> your mammals lay eggs, for God's sakes. I mean, <laughs> you're already one step up in the science fiction world before any of us even yeah. wrote the first word.
1: Well, yeah, but to get basic health care like you guys have had for generations, it was a major convulsion in American politics. I mean, there are things that you guys have had better than we've had for a long time. Um, I, wanted to, I wanted to just parenthetically, before we finished off that sort of uh, Discussion of of, of horror and of the sort of weird category that encompasses possibly horror and fantasy and a lot of other things. And I hope I'm right about this, but I believe that among the younger, more interesting writers uh, who come from Canada are Helen Marshall, whose short stories, all I've read, are just really astonishing and they're not quite categorizable.
2: Helen is one of these, uh, Helen is actually an editor for uh, Cheezing, the people we spoke of earlier. Uh, uh-huh. And uh, yes, absolutely. She certainly made a, a significant mark for herself. Yeah. Uh, Her sister is also a very good writer. Yeah. Oh, will. Laura Marshall.
0: Uh,
2: Laura. And uh, yeah, Laura Marshall. Uh, yes, absolutely. But that's a, certainly a significant voice, well worth noting.
0: Let me. Break. Well, yeah,
3: and, and one that has been. Sorry, uh,
2: sorry okay. to okay. step on whoever I stepped on.
3: Uh, and one that's just getting started. Um, that's the amazing thing. That I think she, every new piece of work that is published by her is more than a, a step beyond the previous one. And she's young, and uh, God knows where she's going to go. She's going to be a major force.
1: Well, there are people who listen to the podcast who want to write down titles. So let me see if I get this right. Her new collection is called Gifts for the, the Ones
3: Who Come After. One who comes after, yes. Thank you. For the one who comes
0: after, yeah. yeah. Uh, one, th- one last thing I was going to ask you sorry. both, if I can, for a second, is we touched on this earlier on. Do you think as we face sort of greater communications to- technology allowing and pushing for the blurring of, of culture, that Canadianness will become a growing topic for Canadian genre fiction?
2: No. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's very Canadian for you. It's a superposition. This is the quantum mechanical country. We try to be all things to all people all the time, and in the end, it just collapses.
0: <laughs> Brilliant. That's a, a perfect um, answer, I have to say.
2: <laughs>
0: and, and, you know,
3: uh, normally I would have thought that I would have answered yes, but I, I, don't. we're not that self-obsessed. Um and uh we're more interested in uh are you th- hello? Yes, we're here. Yeah. Hello?
0: We're here yep, with we here Peter, yeah. He's not
3: here? Okay. Uh, uh What are you gonna say? I think we're more interested.
2: Hello? Yeah, no, continue, please, yes.
3: Okay, I think we're more we're listening in, in... Peter. It's
2: just like a regular conversation. <laughs> no,
3: no, no, I, there, I, I heard some clicks and
2: I thought I had been dropped again. So no, that's C. That's uh, the Canadian Security Intelligence Service.
3: <laughs> so I, I think we 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 want to be noticed more on an international landscape, and be comfortable at home, rather than be noticed on a, a in a Canadian landscape, and be comfortable outside. I think Canadians still want to be. Uh, recognized outside their own borders. Uh, There's a lot left of that old Canadian uh, mentality which says you're not a success until you're a success outside of Canada.
2: Yes,
1: that's very true. That's very true. Well, there is something that uh, John Clute said to me years ago, and I think I can quote it now because it was so many years ago that it may have changed. And, And he has, as both of you know, as all three of you know, Somewhat mixed feelings about his, his his youth in Canada and the United States, but but his description of, of Canadian culture was a culture with its nose pressed up against the glass.
2: Wow, this is where that, this I whole mean, question I mean, of, fairness, of, you of whether you Congress can say that, ago. whether you can say that after you've left the country, uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, um, we live in a world where culture, pop culture, entertainment is a worldwide phenomenon. Uh and I, I you know, I understand the spirit of what John was referring to. And it's kind of also a grass is always greener. And it certainly yeah. is the farther south you go from Canada, right? That literally greener grass down there <laughs> than we have in uh you know, up in the north. Um but uh I don't think I don't think we're a, you know, that implies not a glass ceiling, but a glass wall that you're pressing up against, that there's no way to get out. Well, we're getting out all over the place in the sense of awesome. our culture, our works. Our works are spilling across the borders. And B, it's not, it, that, that, that sounds like the little boy looking at the Christmas toy that he really wants, but knows that he'll never get that red wagon in the shop window in a Norman Rockwell painting. Yeah. And, and uh, I, I don't think there is any of that. I don't think there's America envy on the part of Canadians anymore to the degree that there used to be.
1: But, but, but no. To the degree that uh, there I, used to
2: be, and
1: that's, that's, I think it's the key yeah, point. I, w- I would
3: actually key. like to respond as well, Gary, if I might. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, sure. John is a very good friend, and I think that that comment reflects his own experience in the late 50s, early 60s, when uh, things were quite a bit different. Um, Uh, than they are today. Um, What Rob said obtains today. uh, People are wanting to get into Canada more than they want to leave. Um, In fact, I'm not sure who who said this. It's not original with me, but Canada is the kinder, gentler country that Reagan always promised Americans. Um, We are yeah, we are what you guys want. Um,
1: you just don't know it yet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I think Americans, despite, despite, and possibly a symptom of that attitude, is blame Canada. The song South Park movie. Uh, that that clearly was 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 a kind yeah. of reaction to, to a kind of suppressed envy. Yep.
3: Um, you you put it you put it better than I could. <laughs> well, the press, dandy. Well,
1: what's that? Or as the, the, another American songwriter, Randy Newman, said once, and somebody asked him who he distrusted in the world, he said, "I distrust the Canadians because they're getting really close." Mm.
3: That got garbled over here, Gary. Yeah, you true.
1: Well, Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well. With that rather garbled statement that I didn't honestly pick up, I should, we should probably begin to push this towards a conclusion. Um, there's obviously a lot more we could talk about about Canadian science fiction and about being Canadian in the 21st century. Um, but for now, I would like to very sincerely thank you, Rob, for joining us.
2: Oh, an absolute pleasure. And thank you so much for asking.
0: And thank you too, oh. Peter. I, um, I hope we'll see you. I think we're more likely than we are you, you Rob, because I was looking at the membership thing, lists. We'll see you at the World Fantasy Convention in a week or so.
2: Am I still uh, on the list? I yes. my membership. Well, I just looked
0: at, I would have said we were looking forward to see you there too, Rob, but I did look on the list oh. while we were talking, and I didn't see your name on the list. So I well, thought, you know
2: what? I'll tell you, and this is actually maybe emblematic. The reason I'm not going is yeah. that the week before – a city in New York State, Canandaigua, New York, has decided to do their one book, one community. Everybody Hi. read the same book. Uh, for the, uh, to do my novel, The Terminal Experiment. So uh, it's kind of emblematic that uh, we're making some inroads. And instead of spending awesome. four or five days at World Fantasy, I'm spending five days in upstate well. New York doing library and school visits and so on and so forth. But it's an American uh, city deciding that they wanted to do a science fiction novel and not carrying one wick that the yeah. author happened to be Canadian. And I suppose that distills it down to the reality of being a writer on a global yeah. stage in a global marketplace.
1: And congratulations on being a one-book, one-city one one uh, nomination. It's always something that I think is really special because those decisions are almost always made by non-genre people, by people who have that's found right. something. That's right. Yeah.
0: And as I was saying, that's just delightful, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, that's like, thank Jonathan, you. Gary, thank you very
3: much. This has been uh, a wonderful and fun experience, um, especially uh, with Rob, who, well, you know, who we normally... Go ahead, go ahead. No, we- you're
2: right. We're going to say something nice, and, that's, and, it's, you, and I was going to say <laughs> something nice, too, because we're such good friends, and that may not have come clear we are in very every good moment friends. of this podcast. We have dinner together yeah. once a month. Uh in my yeah. novel Calculating God, the main alien character is named Hollis in honor of Peter. <laughs> One of my books, Relativity, yeah. is dedicated yeah. uh-huh. to Peter. Yeah, you know but he's he not telling you, what he's not telling you. <laughs> what he's
3: not telling you What he's not telling you is that Hollis is a multi legged spider looking alien. Okay, that's what he does to a friend. <laughs> <laughs>
2: wow. With all the all love right. Right. in my heart, Peter. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> On that note,
0: I have to say thank you very, very much for joining us this week. And pleasure. Gary, uh, we, I will talk to you next week when I think we're chatting with Cameron Hurley about science fiction. And then we're going to go to, then we're going to, go to Washington.
1: We're going to, go to Was- no, we're going to go to Arlington, Virginia, actually, where the World Fantasy Convention this issued, here, which is close to Washington, but not actually
2: Washington.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I should tell you as well, everybody, that Robert Sawyer's latest novel, Red Planet Blues, is in stores and has been for a while now. And so you should go and check it out. And we'll try and put up some information about other Canadian science fiction writers on the website when the podcast goes up. But until then, we remain now, as always, the Good Street Podcast.